Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. Yes, I'm back. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. And you know what? I hope you all appreciate that in my absence, I left you in the very capable hands of Alison Rudd, who joins us uh, uh, today in the studio, uh, rather, of course, than, uh, uh, than Max Rushton given the bevy of complaints we'd had last time around about his obscenities. Also in the studio with us are Matt Hughes, who has a very large digital watch. Is that? It's a Garmin Forerunner. It's GPS watch. Garmin Forerunner. You know Garmin can track your movements. So you- but that's the point of it, Gab. That's what GPS means. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't mean like like they know where you are oh, at all times. They spy yes. on you, Garmin. And they pass on uh, dossiers to Christopher. That's where Christopher Steele got most of his information from, from Garmin. Okay. I'm a little to hide. Well, all right. Let's hope so. And uh, it's Julian Lawrence also with us. We'll be talking about the blockbuster weekend in the Premier League. The, the, the tradition that goes on for years and years, the big Merseyside versus Manchester showdown. How fantastic was it? Everton fans and Liverpool fans putting their differences aside for one weekend, as traditionally as they've done for the past century, to, uh, uh, to go and support their city against, uh, against Manchester. We're going to start, of course, at Old Trafford. And it's a special treat because we have somebody who was at Old Trafford yesterday. Joining us down the line is uh, is James Scowcroft. We're going to find out in a minute if he's happy or if he's sad. But, Hughesy, I'm going to start with you. And um, it kind of struck me that this was kind of a glass-half-full game for, for both managers. Apart from the result, there were a lot of positives given the circumstances to take away. Yeah, agreed. I mean, Liverpool had injury problems. Matip couldn't play. Mane still away. Klein. But they had a game plan, played really well for sort of probably 50, 60 minutes and were probably slightly disappointed not not to win the game. Having, sa- having said that, United recovered well. Um, bringing Fellaini on made a difference in terms of substance, if not style. Draw was probably just about the fair result. Scoey, uh, you're at Old Trafford. Uh, it's my understanding you didn't actually leave uh, last night. Um, I wanted to ask about... Uh, about Paul Pogba's performance. Um, on, on Sky, they seem kind of obsessed to pointing out his faults and marking on, on set pieces. Um, on BBC, uh, on my match of the day, it was more sort of a generic, turgid performance for him on the day of the hashtag uh, and the emoji. Um, was this just, just a really bad day at the office? Should they be giving credit to, to Liverpool? How, how did you see his game? Um, he had his poorest game that he's had in the last couple of months. To be to be fair to him, he's been phenomenal in the last two months. He's literally been the driving force behind uh, United's very, very good run. Uh, I, I think it's unfair to single him out yesterday. I think a lot of players were below par. I thought in midfield, basically in the last couple of months, Carrick, Kiera, Pogba, they've sort of made that midfield themselves. Here, and all three of them were poor. Um, they never really sort of stamped their authority on the game. There's a lot of unforced errors, which was... Unlike all three of them, really, but you know, I think with his price tag, he'll always get singled out. Is there such a thing as an unforced error against Liverpool, though? I mean, Liverpool—that's part of what they do now. They make you make errors, don't they? Um, there's, you can say that, Alison. But I think what happened there was a lot of anxiety in the second half. We United a goal down, you know, people getting a little bit edgy. Just, just wayward passes when there was nobody near. Um, Hiera especially, you know, gave the ball away, kicked it out of play when he tried to switch play a few times. I wouldn't say that's down to Liverpool because. Liverpool weren't anywhere near him. I thought Liverpool were a little bit more fluent in midfield. Their rotation was better in midfield than, than Manchester United's was. And I think overall a fair result. But United did have chances. They had far more chances than what Liverpool did. I want to ask you a specific technical question because uh, you've probably marked on uh, corner kicks uh, more often than uh, than any of us, or at a higher level anyway, than any of us. Um, this business, this Pogba-Lovren uh, business where... I, I know Lovren's good in the air, but all of a sudden, like when they were, it, it seemed as if he turned into some some combination of Andy Carroll and, and Godzilla. And w- w- was Pogba doing things incorrectly in marking him on the corner, or was it a case that Liverpool actually quietly put together a really really good set piece routine aimed at you know blocking markers and getting people free? It was a catalogue of errors, really. I don't, I haven't seen Liverpool in previous games, but I think the United scout that's that's watched them, if he's missed that in previous games, then uh, that's that's a big concern. Who is Basically, it? Who not, is it? Name and shame. I don't know. I've got. Oh come on, you know. First idea. I do not know, Gab. I bet Andy Mitten would know. I shall ring Andy up later and find out. 
Um, Lovren sort of did a block, didn't he, and spun around the back and had a warning sign. I'm not sure why Pogba, of all the players in that team, I would have Pogba marking, but I wouldn't have him as, as one of the number one markers. I think Lovren was the main target, so maybe Rocco or Jones, the centre-arse, would have been better than him. Even Ibrahimovic, I think, at attacking the ball than, than Pogba. The movement lost him, basically, and it, and he was all over the place. And I think yeah, he's still a young lad. He's still got a lot to learn in, in you know defending corners and set pieces like that. Comes with experience. Julian, when I had my sit down with Pogba, he said that you know the area of his game that he most needs to improve is his heading, both defensive and attacking. He says it's crazy that somebody as tall and as strong as I am isn't doesn't score more goals with his head. Um, and Mourinho afterwards seemed to sort of you know complain and kind of point out that well you know we don't have that many tall players and or players who are good in the air and that's why Barbarian Fellaini whatever. Pogba really shouldn't be marking Lovren, right? No, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Although you want to give the big responsibility to your, you know, best players, and I think that's why maybe usually. Why would you want to do that? That, that? That's silly. Would you want Alexis Sanchez marking? No, no, no. But like, what? no, but you know, players like Pog, the defensive players. I mean, not not anyone. But I think that. So I, I don't think. Okay. Was, would you want Hector Bellerin? Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna no, be no, pedantic no, no, here. Like, marking Pogba. But like, if you think about tall players at United who could have taken Lovren, it was, I believe, either Ibra or Pogba. I don't think, you know, I don't think Jones don't, and Rojo were already probably marking Clavan and I can't remember. I looked I looked at it yesterday. I can't remember who well, that's Jones I mean. was on. But no, I don't think I don't think it's I don't I don't think it's wrong it's not that like Pogba you're playing is marking Stoke here. No, but you know, still I don't think it's wrong that Pogba is marking Lovren. But he should he have done better, but he's not huh? good at it and he has to improve it. One of the one of the subplots here, Alison, was Liverpool with all their absences, I thought, right, there's no way they're going to be able to to press and, and play their game because Alexander-Arnold, um, obviously not going to have the same energy as, as, as Klein. Henderson was not 100%. I mean, he was just coming back from, I mean, he was in doubt, I think, until until the day before. And yet they did, and I thought a lot of it was down to prodigious performance from a player I suspect you like a little bit, uh, Adam Lalana, who who took Carrick out of the game. And then Mourinho responded to that with um, a bit of tactics of his own, didn't he, with, uh, by, by removing him and sending on Rooney. Rooney played quite well. His finishing was poor, but um, he added a bit of um, energy. I mean, that's the problem when you face Liverpool. You've got to somehow deal with their energy. It's not just physical energy. It's attitude of, of mind, in a way, because you'll get someone like Lalana, who we've praised for most of the season for his delicacy and vision, and his uh, increased output in terms of getting goals, and he was prepared to subdue that side of his game just to be, just to be the a suffocator, spoiler. just to be a suffocator, really. He was basically what. Remember Parchi song at the end of uh, sort yeah. of uh, uh, Fergie used him a bunch of times, sort of in that role to to go and impress the opposing deep lying playmaker. I thought that was kind of what you know, and to have a high energy thing and try to drag him out of position. I, I thought he did that extremely well. Yeah, and another reason to praise Lalana that he can, he will do that for the team. Um, I, I think that's astonishing because I think when I when I saw the two lineups, I thought Liverpool are weaker here. They're going to struggle. Scoey, given how good United have performed when when Carrick's been been in there, um, is this a recipe lesser teams could use? Just basically go and just plant somebody. On Carrick, and just harass him because there's no, there's no real alternative to Carrick in the in, in in Mourinho's squad, is there? They can do, and the reason why they can do is because United don't have a great deal of pace up front as well. So if you go, if you go and press high and you, you expose yourself at the back with space in behind your back four, it's not that much of a problem because Ibrahimovic is never going to run in behind and, and threaten your back four. So you can, and Liverpool did do it well yesterday. You can push onto United. Um, and, and do that. If it was a Rashford or a Martial down the middle, you might leave yourself a little bit exposed. But you know, people have tried to do it. And, you know, Michael Michael Carrick plays very, very deep. It's just whether you want to take a player out of your shape, out of your midfield, to go that high up the pitch and and mark him. Really, it is a gamble. It was a gamble that probably paid off for Liverpool yesterday. I think you're right. I think it worked yesterday. But I don't think we should sort of underestimate how difficult it is to play that style that Liverpool played yesterday. Um, it's not just about putting a man on Carrick. All Liverpool's front four were working with incredible sort of speed, stamina, and concentration. 
to press really high up the pitch and there's only really Tottenham and Liverpool I think who could probably do that in the Premier League so it's not as, it's not as simple as like man marking uh, Carrick's not in the game I think it requires a lot more than that and what Liverpool did well especially first half they got the full backs high up the pitch as well Jim, James Milner was very high um, the other lad uh, Arnold as well was, was, was high so they sort of made a bit of an overload in midfield which United struggled to deal with I got the sense Mourinho after the game sort of almost seemed to allude to the fact that United ran out of time, that they, you know, in the end that they created a whole bunch of chances and um, they really could have easily scored and, and won it, but then the final whistle came. Do you agree with his assessment? Well, of course he says that, but it's simply not true. I mean, that, that, <laughs> that, there's a final added minutes. Honestly, OK, I'm slightly biased, but who, who did we think was more likely to score? I mean, really? Really, if well, he, if, if Ronaldo could score, if, could he, if he could shoot, that would be well, good. Well, Mignolet made some big saves too, right? He did, but not. It, it didn't feel like the tide had turned because Fellaini's on the pitch. Let's it's, get the it's opinion all, of a United all, fan. It's all going United's way. It was. It was pretty. It was pretty to and fro. But I, I didn't feel if, if there was an extra ten minutes added that it was United's to win. Scoey, did you do you agree with? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably back Alison up on that. Really, I, I think it. Hmm. It was, you know, Liverpool did, they did come out. I, I think they, they, you could see they were very disappointing to uh, concede the equaliser as well. And I think the last five or six minutes, especially the last four or five minutes of injury time, they did try and take the game to United. Um, I think the game petered out. A 1-1 a, a was a fair, a fair score. I don't think anybody from either side could argue against that. Hughesy, what's more likely at this stage? United making top four or Liverpool winning the Premier League? Ooh, good question. Ooh. Um, I'll be throwing it to all of you, so you guys prepare. I just went to Husey first because he has a he's probably more educated than the rest of you. Um, that's not true, but uh, can you go I, to a fancier university than these people? No idea. Um, <laughs> I don't think either of those things will happen. Oh, good answer. But I'm not really? going to give you probability. You don't think United will finish top four, no. and you don't think Liverpool? Okay, correct. Allison, uh, I think that. Evens is that the right phrase? No, that's wrong, isn't it? I don't know how to do betting. I think that both as likely as each other. But are they going to happen? Yeah, both will happen. Oh, yeah. What? All right, it's positive yeah. power, of positive thinking. Uh, Julian, the more likely I say would be Liverpool winning the title, but I, I, I'm with Hughie on that. None you think Liverpool winning the title is more likely? Than seven United, points back, but, more, but more none likely. of them is going to happen. Neither of them is going to happen. Scoby, this lack of faith in Jose. United are three points away from qualifying for the Champions League. I, Liverpool I are the, seven points behind Chelsea. I, 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 and I, I, they I, I, have totally agree with you, Gab. What? I, I, totally agree, I totally agree with you. I, I, Thank I can't you. See Liverpool, I can't see Liverpool winning the league. I, I think United are probably 50-50 to finish in the top four. Manchester United haven't got to play one of the big teams now until mid-April. So they've got a really good run of games coming up now. Somebody hit me up on Twitter and told me, like, can you talk a little bit about Everton too? And I said, and so we're going to start actually talking about Everton because... The first time I saw Tom Davies in the flesh, he was totally fresh-faced, sort of, you know, the kind of like that baby skin. He had the same haircut that Allison has now. Um, and, um, in fact, he kind of looked like he could be related to, to, to Allison somehow, uh, if not for the fact that he's a blue, of course. I'm still mesmerized by the run, and maybe I'm being a little bit too romantic here. But, goodness, like, you're taking on Yaya Torre and Gail Clichy, and I thought, we, you know, have some respect. And he goes and he does that move. And then the he thing. plays the one, too. And then he gets, he gets, he runs into the stones, who probably is like 20 pounds heavier than he is. He gets knocked over. He gets up again. And then he finishes. I, and that, that, that was awesome. And he's the 79th minute. If you do that after 15 minutes or yes, 20 minutes or half an hour. Yes, and he was running around like a maniac, yeah. But he's run for 80 minutes like, like, a, you know, like a headless chicken. And then at the end, he has the lucidity of doing that little shit of a bravo that goes in. And I'm so glad Lukaku didn't steal the goal, by the way. But fantastic. And we picked him up. Do you remember? We, we said he, he looked very, very good. I think after the Chelsea game, maybe he came on. And it was a disastrous day for Everton. No, was it I that? think we just talked about him because he looked funny with, with No, with I'm sure we picked him up. We said he had a bright future. Yeah, we did. We definitely said. Yeah. But look look for him. He's going to score against yeah, City, yeah. we said. I think we definitely said really that. Really, to all the podcasts, you'll find it. The other guy I liked was, was Mason Holgate. And, and I saw him earlier this year and he seems like super mature. He was at Barnsley. The, the, the thing about Everton is the academy is, is obviously very, very good and Davis is a pure product of the academy, so is Rooney and Barkley and all of that. But they're also very good at finding those youngsters from other clubs like Holger Barnsley, Stones is Barnsley as well, or Calvert-Lewin who came from Sheffield United in the summer as well. And then 
it's not just buying a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old and then make him sit on the bench or train now and again with the first team. He's developing him as well with the reserves, but also with the first team. And then being able to have those kind of performances in games like, like of this course, one. Adam Ola-Lukman, another guy they got from another club, from yeah. uh, um, Charlton, uh, if, if memory serves. Only a few weeks ago, yeah. Um, when it doesn't work out for Koeman, we criticize him when he goes and he, he sort of mega parks the bus. But when it does work out and they're devastating on the counter like this one, we praise him, right? But it's the same guy. I've never criticised him. I don't know what you're talking about. You love him. You absolutely love him. I think you love him more than many people at Everton. (laughs) (laughs) Despite this resort, he's not universally popular from what I'm told. I don't think he really wants to be, but he's, he's, he's... why is it the football? He's kind of a he, he, no, he, he, he can play good football too. More right? of his personality, really. I think he's kind of pretty marmite. Yeah, you're either in his team or you're not, and he makes his mind up pretty quickly. He uh, doesn't hide the way he feels about things, and he's not a diplomat, um, which I think rub, rubs people up the wrong way and can create problems with certain players. I mean, the Barkley issue is yeah, that's ongoing. A good illustration of of why he do, he doesn't make his mind up pretty quickly. I mean, he he, he had problems with Barkley and, and any manager would have done he's a frustrating player because he's clearly got the talent and wasn't quite fit enough and yet he was in this starting lineup and an important cog in the machine and he hasn't pushed him out into the shadows and said go and train in some foreign country's boot camp for six months he's brought him back in so he, he is adaptable he is adaptable I think he's a good manager um I just look at his whole career really and He's he's streaky, you know. He has he's either very good or very bad. There's, he struggles for consistency, and it'll be interesting to see if he can do that, Evan. Because they started very well, then have dipped, and they've pulled off eye-catching results like this one. Um, but then there'll be some home games that they look very very poor. I have a, a provocative question for you all. If the guy who's maybe Everton's best defensive midfielder, maybe the best defensive midfielder, not named N'Golo in the Premier League, if he'd been available um, would they have would would Tom Davies have played and would they have won this game it, it brings something different I'm talking about yeah, Gay yeah. by the way in case you yeah. hadn't caught it I want to believe that he saw in Davies someone who would run forever yeah. and who would be able to run Ayatore even in the 79th minute and then create something so you play him because he would have always been that threat for City which Barry and Gay wouldn't have been because they don't they're not that, those type of runners at all should we talk City uh, so Pep has conceded the title. He doesn't think they're going to win the Premier League this year. Is he right? Yeah. Yeah. But is it a clever thing to say to kind of? Because I'm thinking of like last year and the lame duck manager type thing, and to come out and and say that. Do is there a risk that you then you then get into some kind of weirdo comfort zone? You focus everything on the Champions League until you get knocked out, and you don't really progress as a team. Um, I don't think so because he's in a far stronger position than Pellegrini. He's in the first year of his contract. The City have spent five years trying to get him to the club. For all the sort of hysteria in English football, there's no way that Pep Guardiola is getting sacked this season. So he knows that if those players want to stay at the club, they're going to have to improve. He knows he's going to change and he's going to have to kind of, you know perhaps be a bit more pragmatic and accept that having weaknesses in both penalty boxes is actually quite a bad thing. We've all taken the line, everybody in the media, um, talking about how Pep is giving up on the title. But it's weird because he gave an interview, I think it was in Spain maybe, when I was at Barcelona as a player, at one point we were 12 points behind Real Madrid and we came back and we won the title, so we're not giving up. Which seems to totally... I, I'm just wondering if maybe... He either says different things to different people or maybe this is another situation where he just kind of talks without thinking and his words get misinterpreted. I mean, are we 100% sure that this is what he means? I think he's low. I think he's... Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to use the word depressed because that's a, a, a medical clinical term. And, and But he seems... He seems low. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think he'll get sacked. I think he'll walk away. I don't think he's enjoying himself one bit. I, I, saw, I saw him being interviewed... Uh, and I and as well, obviously they do different ones. There's a Sky one, there's a BBC one, there's a World Feed one. Where he's like rocking back and forth while he's talking, and he looks like you know like a kid who has to go and pee or something. And yeah, he he he's not. That's what bears do in the zoo. When and it's how you know a bear's unhappy being in a cage because they rock back and forth. Well, 
I'll give you the other side, though, to to back up what Pep said, Julian, which is that um, City could have put this game away easily. And in the end, Everton take four shots on target and scores four goals. And this is football. And Raheem Sterling should have had a penalty. And if they score the penalty, then Everton have to come forward. And then it's easy pickings. And Aguero scores a hat trick. And all of a sudden, we're not talking about Pep as a bear in a cage, Allison, but we're talking about how brilliant how, how City are back and how brilliant they are and what a fantastic title race we have. True, but he's, it has happened so many times this season that it just can't be an accident anymore. You know, it can happen once or twice where you, you feel you're really unlucky because it didn't work out for you with your chances and the other, the other team had one chance and scored two goals or something like that. But it's happened again and again and again. There must be other issues than just, well, you know... Like he said, they arrived once, they scored, they arrived twice, they scored again. Maybe it was too easy for them to score, and it certainly was. And it's an issue because you, you can let the opposition create chances, but if you make sure that it's hard for them to score them, they won't have four shots on target and four goals. That defence has got worse this, this season. A well, lot, I don't understand. It's the 16th of January. They're one of the richest clubs in the world, if not the richest. How on earth is it possible they haven't signed anyone? Well, Do they, they, they don't know this is, at the Etihad it's a transfer window. This is, I think, a really big issue. So I don't know if you put the, the, the blame on Pep or if you put it on Chiki Begutistein. But if you look at this, this is really, really bad. They go and they spend, what, like a combined 70, 75 million on Leroy Sané and Gabriel Jesus on the summer. Now, I'm not saying that they're bad signings and, you know, they're both very promising youngsters. But they're people who don't get on the pitch. Right? I mean, Jesus, we haven't seen yet. He's not I mean, even he just, qualified. He's just arrived. Yeah, I mean, he's not qualified. They haven't registered him no. yet? Right, so well. he couldn't even have been on the bench yesterday. And Sane's just played really, really little. And it, it doesn't, doesn't feel like he's somebody necessarily needed because they've got a lot of attacking players. And they do this and they don't upgrade defensive midfield or indeed defense, despite the fact that they know that you know, going the whole season with three center backs is tough. And then when one of them is Vincent Company, who, who's got his injury record situation, I just find that completely bizarre. Before we even get into the Bravo Heart thing, I want to know, I want you to tell me, Husey, because you're best placed, is this Pep or is this Cheeky? Um, You'd think it was Pep, I mean... I, I would think it's Pep too. He, and then, but then I'm wondering... is see the squad and say, like, yeah, that's good enough, surely. <laughs> You yeah, good enough for what? Good enough to do well. He can't. He can't look at his squad and say, "Yeah, I'm going to play Zabaleta in midfield because that's great." Because I did it with Lamb and he worked, so he's going to work with Zabaleta. Zabaleta is not Philip Lamb. It's not going to work. It's not working. How he's, he's, not he's clearly he's clearly overrated his own ability to improve players. Yeah, maybe that's yeah. A but good point. You, you, we, was that was that what he was thinking? Like, I'm going to improve Zabaleta because it's not like Zabaleta and Sanya and Clichy. It's not like these guys are 20 years old. No. Yeah, exactly. You're improving people with expiring contracts. Not only is he attempting to improve them, he's attempting to reinvent them, which is even harder. You know, by playing yeah. them in different positions, playing color off at centre half. But I go back to this. Field. What do we expect from a director of football? I mean, Chiki Bagiristein is not, you know, some Burke. He's a guy who, who won a lot of things at Barcelona. He's a guy who's known Pep for a very long time. I'm thinking, if, if I'm Khaldun, if I'm the guy who hires these people, you know, I say, guys... I know, Pep, that you're God, but it is a two-way relationship. I mean, that's the way it should work. He did win a lot of things at Barcelona, but what was his record in the transfer market like? Both Pep's and Bergeristein's. I mean, most of those players okay, Chigrinsky, were, 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 no, were I kind know. of there, weren't they? And yeah, he got no, the best out No, no, but clearly. what I'm saying is people also learn from, from, from their mistakes. They, they, they learn from their past. I mean, in the same way... Sure, but what is the, evid- in, what is no, the, but, what is the evidence that suggests that Bergeristein can put together a new football team? which is clearly what needs to happen. I think the evidence is that he's played football for a long time, he's been in the game for a long time. And in the same way that, and and I guess this is what I'm driving at, in the same way that conventional wisdom, right, would tell us that Zabaleta is not Danny Alves, that these guys are old, that it's not a good idea to to wait until the end to decide that heart's not good enough and blah, 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 that you're shorthanded, that company's always hurt, that that, that Pep's not going to like Delph for whatever reason or he's not going to be fit. I mean, that, that guy was on the bench again, mm. right? Especially when you know Pep inside out, the way Bagiristein does. I would imagine that you'd have at least some level of dialogue where Bagiristein says, sorry, Pep, I know you've got a wider vision and you see football differently than I do, but, you know, just as a layman here, why are we doing this? 
Shouldn't we be doing that? Why are we spending all this money on Sané when when you're not going to get him on the pitch because there's other guys you like? They might they might have that chat. They might disagree. They might disagree. Pep might not want any signings, and Chiki is going like, listen, we need another easily two. Sometimes, when do you remember in the summer we said that three quarter of that squad needs out and new in and new players in. Well, we you know, but we it's, it's quite obvious. And yesterday was very obvious that of that starting eleven, who should be there really in that City team? But from Aguero, De Bruyne, David Silva, everybody else. Sterling. And Sterling, okay. Everybody. So we yeah, but we said oh, no, no. Oh, but what my point was, okay, maybe five, six, six shouldn't be there. We said they would need at least three transfer windows to make this squad. Oh, come on, you sound like Duncan Castles talking about Mourinho. No, 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 no. What you 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 don't believe no, this no. squad needs yeah, yeah. reinforcement? This really oh. bugs me. No, no, this listen really to me. Bugs listen. Me. Let, no, no. let me ask Hang you a question on. first. You don't think these city squads? Needs I said I said in the summer. Right when when I predicted that City were going to finish fifth and I wasn't, and people said, "Oh, but they've got the best squad in the Premier League," and I said, "No, they don't." Okay, and that, and so many people picked City to finish first. So many people talked about the strength of their squad, the strength and depth. And, and now I'm, you're making I'm, I'm it seem you. as if conventional wisdom in the summer was that this oh, no. was not the case. I'm with you on that. That's what. Yeah, we shared the same thing, but we said the same thing on the podcast. We're, we're the only two people saying it. No, no, no. I don't think we are. But why? Why? Why have they wasted two weeks already in this transfer window and, and, and I've, I've not seen anyone? It's obstinacy. It's obst- There's a difference between having a strong philosophy and just being obdurate. They, presumably, uh, when they signed, they finally got the god. They got the god they wanted to be manager and they said, can you, can you make what we have work? Surely they can He would have said, that. he would have said, of course I can because I know how to do that. It's, it's about making sure... The system comes first, the approach comes first, and I can make... As long as we've got John Stones, we'll be fine. I think Pep thinks if he signs a host of expensive players now, which you can't get now anyway, it's another way of him saying, I judge the Premier League wrong. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're going to move on to our debate in a minute, but... Um, we we want to mark the passing of um, Graham Taylor, the, uh, the the former Watford and and England and Aston Villa uh, manager. Uh, I had the opportunity to work with him on television on numerous occasions, and what I remember of him, and again, I didn't I didn't really cover him, um, so I had a different experience. Was just how enthusiastic he was, and how sort of you get excited. You know, you work with ex pros. We've all done it. There's no expo here, so we think we can say it. And sometimes they go and they just kind of mail it in. They're like, oh, another game, another shift, punching a time card. But it was never like that with um, with Taylor. Uh, and he really did love his job and, and, and love the sport. Um, you can debate whether he was his place as a, as a manager in the history of English football, obviously. Failing to qualify for a World Cup is pretty bad. Uh, although to be fair, he's not the only England manager to have uh, to have failed to do that. But I think there's so more, and, and hopefully that's just like a footnote in uh, in his career. Transfer window opens, and all of a sudden we get stories about uh, mercenary superstars wanting moves and developing back issues. Uh, now, for those who don't know. The beauty of a back injury is it's something that no club doctor can scan for. You say it hurts, it hurts. And I'm just pointing out fact. I'm sure Paya and, uh, and Diego Costa both suffer terrible backaches right now. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Husey, you've written about Diego Costa. Let's start with Dimitri Payet because, of course, West Ham once won the World Cup. I'm assuming you have some insight on what's going on, Julian. <laughs> Just yeah, stereotyping of the fact try. that you're more French than the rest no, of us? No, I'm hoping I do. <laughs> well, okay, that's this situation. It's, 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 it's pretty clear, although I can see why Western fans are going mad and, and they're probably right in a way. 
Dimitri Payet doesn't want to play for the club anymore, doesn't want to be at the club anymore, doesn't even want to live in London anymore. He's not happy here. His wife is not happy. The three children are not happy. The wife and the kids are already in Marseille. They're looking for a house. They're looking for schools. It's quite clear for them that he will leave West Ham and join Marseille. The Marseille... Uh, uh, directors and people are in London today. They will meet West Ham at some point this week, make another offer. The first one was rejected. West Ham said, it's, we're not going to sell. They really believe that with the highest offer, maybe around the 30 million euros, bonus included, it will happen. It's still a long way. I'm not saying West Ham fans, it will happen. I'm just saying that they are confident in Marseille and Dimitri Payet is confident as well that it will happen. By the way, and thanks to Brexit, that means that West Ham will make an even bigger yeah, profit. more money. Yeah, see? Than before Brexit. Good on you, the people who voted for Brexit. But <laughs> will Marseille pay the wages? Will he get yeah. The same? yeah. So he's reached or he's already reached an agreement with yeah. Marseille. Everything See, with yeah. Marseille is sorted. I don't think they Save will. Money. I've been told that he's yeah, taking a pay cut, much. a little bit, but not much. There's I've a lot, been told he's taking money a substantial Marseille. pay cut, and that. There's a lot so of bonuses the, the, the makeup is a lot of bonuses. Yeah. But these aren't the funny, like, Anthony Martial bonuses, like, you know, put on your shoe when you get another million. <laughs> uh, these are bonuses that actually he may not reach. Yeah, and I was also is, told... The point is he's happy with it. So, if, you know, he's okay. agreed to it. Well, I don't know. So, but if that's the case, then can we all agree that we can't call him a greedy mercenary if he's taking a pay cut oh yeah that's well yeah yeah, it's yeah. we can call him unprofessional yeah, yeah it's different than going to china for three or four but times the your the wages. Of it, julian is that that all makes perfect sense if your family are not happy and it's it's going to affect you as a footballer if you care for your family and he's you know he's he's from marseille he knows marseille he's not club. from marseille no, he's, he's from, from marseille from as really where he played a lot yeah. of his football he knows it's, it's a part of his what family was it, two years three years yeah the guy comes from a, from, from a, like a tropical island, which yeah. is the polar yeah. opposite of Marseille. Marseille. His no. wife and family from, know yeah. Marseille. That's the point. He's no, not going what? somewhere brand new and taking a punt somewhere. He's going effectively, as far as family is concerned, yeah. is he's going home. Hilarious, yeah. Gav. And but the point the point is, why did it reach the point where he has to be so vilified and and come out as this anti-hero? Surely the club are slightly at f- fault for not being able to handle that need to move better. Yeah, I think the way he's done it is is obviously wrong. He's but a very stubborn he, why, guy. Why? You know so it. Why did he have to do it in that way? He's that's got a, his, he's got a history of yeah, pouting, hasn't exactly. he? So why, that's why, why, why does, that's it, why why does, does. it escalate that's his from saying, I'm not happy to that, to that that's point? His attitude. I'm he, going on strike. He, he, that's his attitude. He, I think he believed they didn't listen to him. He believed they didn't listen to him in the summer when he already was making a few noises like, mm, you know, I'm, we're not happy here. We don't really want to be here. Would you let, let me go? And from what I was told, West Ham went like did the uh, ostrich policy, as we say in French, which they, they buried their head in the sand and let the few clubs who were there for Payet and wanted a bit of talk and negotiation with West Ham, they let them go away by not responding. The thing that get people, and especially West Ham fans, mad, and rightly so, is that in February, when he signed his new deal for five and a half years, for 125k a week, he didn't say to anyone he was not happy in London, that the kids were not happy at school, that the wife was not happy either. He was very happy at the time to sign a huge pay rise in that new contract. So I, I get all of that, but I think that when they signed a new contract, they thought, okay, let's give it another go because it's working so well on the pitch. It would be silly because we're not happy here because you know the language is a problem, the culture is a problem. You know, they, they felt like that. Let's give it another go and see where that leads us. Enough, Payet. Uh, let's move on to uh, somebody who's having a really, really good season. Uh, Diego Costa. Husey, you did. You have an exclusive in, in the paper today. Costa rejected 200k offer before bust up. On Tuesday, Costa was claiming he had a back problem, couldn't train. Chelsea physios, fitness staff weren't convinced. Uh, Conte um, weighed on their side, made him turn on his own, didn't travel to Leicester as, as a result. Um, but bubbling away in the background is this offer he's had from China, apparently about £30 million a year. So he stands to earn from a club. I don't even know where it is and can't pronounce it. Which it's is Tianjin. Tianjin. Where is it? Well, they're promoted by the guy who captained the 2006 World Cup winning side. Oh, are they? Fabio Cannavaro, yeah. Oh, really? He's their coach? Yes. Right. And they're newly promoted to the Chinese Super League. Anyway, they've got a lot of money to spend and George Mendes met them last week and... Uh, He's talking to them about Costa going there. and George Mendes wants a piece of the Chinese pie, right? Cause, you think? Because <laughs> Kia's getting everything and George is getting all the crumbs. 
whether, and it's really whether funny. Costa Did you wants think, to go or not, or yeah. whether he's using it to get a pay rise at Chelsea is unclear. But basically, um, found out yesterday that Chelsea had already offered him a big improvement on his current contract a couple of weeks ago, uh, and he, t- he said no. Um, so I think what will happen is he'll probably be forced to stay, and they'll leave in the summer. Would it make sense from Chelsea's perspective to uh, to call his bluff and say, you know what? If there really is, as, as Matt Hughes reports, an £80 million offer for him, how about we knock that down to £70 million and we sell you to Tianjin, uh, but you stay here on loan until the summer, or we mathematically win the Premier League, whichever happens first. That way, Diego, you get more money and you get to win another Premier League title. Uh, Tianjin, you know he's not going anywhere, and we're not going to sell him to Shanghai or, or somewhere else in the summer, and everybody's happy. I don't think there's any appetite at Chelsea to make Costa's life easier at the minute. Um, I think they've done... Well, they kind of need to, because they, they, they went through the summer window, they went through the winter transfer window looking to buy a striker, right? Because yeah. Batshuayi is apparently not the alternative to Diego Costa. No. And they don't want to be in a situation where they have to buy two strikers, right? No, but I think I think Costa's different to play... I don't know him, but um, many people do, and he's very kind of volatile up and down. I don't think he is a stubborn. One one day he can have, think one thing, the next day he can think the other thing. So I think come February, he's a, he's a he's a real, as you can tell, I'm watching him. He's a real competitor. He he's not going to want to be not playing football yeah. for six months. Do you think his back might improve? I think his back may improve <laughs> quite quick, quite quickly. The issue is whether he signs this new contract at Chelsea and squeezes. Another fifty grand a week out of them, or if he wants to go to China, no one really seems to know that at the minute. There's sort of mixed messages from the club. Apparently, he's telling the players different things every day. Would we be in this situation if George Mendes had more influence at Chelsea than if he had the same level of influence at Chelsea that, that he did in the past? Yeah, I think because these guys, they don't care. <laughs> they're, okay. not, they're not like traditional agents who manage their clients' careers very expertly and very diligently they, these guys have got so many clients they're in their fingers in so many pies they just want to make money for themselves basically and their clients that, of course well the one leads to the other yeah it's a virtuous cycle think, of life I think a lot of these people don't have their clients best interests at heart otherwise they wouldn't Oscar wouldn't be going to China would he if he was interested in his furthering his career yeah I disagree on that one I, I don't think I don't think Oscar going to China is that I mean he's still in the in the Brazilian national team He's still. He's not going to get better, though, is he? He's not going to improve as a footballer. This is he's a not really... going to improve. Is he Chelsea not playing either? Well, he could if he learned to work, okay, learn to tackle. But that's kind of the Ashley Young argument, right? Remember Ashley Young, England footballer, a lot of money, really good. Eddie Boothroyd saying he was the best player in the world. Louis Van Gaal loved him. Yeah, and he spent his career at a club where he never plays. He could go to a mid-table club, make roughly the same money, maybe a little less and be an absolute superstar, right? And yet he chooses to go there and, you know, play a walk-on part in the war rather than a lead role in a cage. Yeah, I don't think that's a particularly uh, good parallel, really, because Young's chosen to, you know, play at a big club, earn money, and win titles, whereas Oscar's, Oscar's just chosen to go and earn money and be forgotten. Win title and, well... No, but, I mean, I think, I think the key thing with Oscar is that Brazil's shown that they keep calling guys from China. Yeah. That it's not, you know, he's not holding it against them. You got a World Cup in 2018, maybe, and he's young enough that maybe he can then come back to Europe. Um, I mean, I mean, you just described accurately Costa as a real competitor, probably one of the more competitive players we've ever seen in the Premier League. In terms of his, you can you can see in his eyes how competitive he is. Yeah. He's, he's going to be bored out of his brain in China. One isn't would, it? yeah, one would think he may because the standard is tastes terrible. My brother lives so in what's Shanghai. So what's the point? Got a season ticket, Shenhua, other than the money, which you get uh, here. He says it's, it's awful. It's like worse than League One. Most of them have one or two good aging European or South American players but the rest of the team is, is terrible how's your brother finding the pollution does he walk around with a little does he have one of those pollution monitors in his uh, it's not great but he right. deals with it because I, I heard about I was listening to BBC's uh, from our own correspondent on the way in and they had an item of yeah, a guy who no, lives in Shanghai and he has you can buy these little pollution monitors you put in your house to rate the air quality and like it's definitely worse than the problem yeah, then, yeah. there you go how about some quick hits? Some of us were expecting a knock-on effect from uh, the Tottenham game. Instead, we got a comprehensive hammering of the defending Premier League champions. Husey, business as usual for Chelsea? Um, I thought even better than that, actually. Really good performance. 
tactically without Costa and I thought the way that the front three, Hazard, Pedro Millian interlinked was outstanding really and suggests that that defeat at Spurs was just a one-off and Chelsea can go back to chalking off the wins every week, enjoying their lovely uh, midweek breaks and win the league quite easily. By the way, since uh, you know your way around Chelsea, somebody asked me this, um, any shot that if there are cost issues that Tammy Abraham comes back and no, you're making a face? Nah, well, he, they love him and he's good, but when was the last time Chelsea ever gave a kid a chance? I mean, Patrick Bamford came back on loan last January and never played for them. Has still never played for them. I think, yeah, I think Abraham is better. Tammy but, Abraham's a beast. Yeah, but he's playing in a mid to low table championship team. I, I just can't see that happening. Right. Arsenal roll over Swansea 4-0 and spoil Paul Clement's debut. Julian, would you rather talk about the umpteenth false dawn for Arsenal or discuss Clement's chances at Swansea? I'll, I'll do both. I think it was a very important win for Arsenal, although a very slow start again, like we mentioned last week, Alison. But it was very good for them, and they're still there. They're there. They're fourth in the table. They're hanging out, which is good for them. And Paul Clement will have a lot of work to do. But he's called Clement. My brother is called Clement, so I hope he's going to succeed. Your brother's actually called Clement? Clement. But Clement. it's hard to say in like mm-hmm. English way for people in, in England. <laughs> Harry Kane bags a hat-trick and Della Alley dispenses magic as Tottenham beat up West Brom 4-0. Alison, are they the best one-two punch in the Premier League right now? Or, and I suspect I know the answer to this, would you rather discuss your your love and my love for uh, Moussa Dembele? They are marvellous, the, the pair. The last 10 goals have come from those two players, so clearly they are, they are super in form. But as I uh, wrote today in the game... They're only able to play with such freedom and joy because of the role played by Moussa Dembele, who has become the mature babysitter, if you like, of the team. And uh, when Pochettino joked that Tottenham do not exist without him, it was a joke a year ago, and now I think it's almost true. The commentariat turned up their nose when Marco Silva was appointed. Uh, And it's the usual guys who, the, the Football 365, there's this absolutely brutal takedown of the usual suspect ex-pros who go and moan when um, foreigners that they've never heard of go and get clubs. They all moaned about Marco Silva being appointed because he wasn't giving uh, an English coach a chance who knows the league. But so far, so good. He's got a great backstory, and he beats Bournemouth 3-1, and it's their first league win since early November. Usually he's young, but he has a bit of a track record. Are you are you impressed? I was impressed on Saturday, yeah. It's a good... Um great start Hernandez scored a couple of good goals they look good and I agree with you about how it's really easy to sneer at kind of foreign guys you've never heard of I remember when um, the great Nigel Adkins was sacked at Southampton and some guy called Pochettino was appointed and the world went crazy about how this was ridiculous he couldn't even speak English and Southampton were going to get relegated and he did quite well um, so Silva interesting you know any positivity about a left of the appointment is starting to mind when you learn that He's a Mendes client and Hull are trying to sell the club. So that and traffic. All? Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, <laughs> makes you think, is that the reason? And the Quaresma is coming as well. <laughs> is that the reason? That he's Nani, maybe too. Um, but, you know, it's an interesting appointment. I'd love to know who made the decision. Sam Allardyce, obviously, who has Unavailable. so much experience and so he's so good because he's so English. He's still yet to win at Crystal Palace, where Marco Silva has got more points in one Premier League game than... Uh, Big Sam in four or five. The African Cup of Nations kicked off on Saturday, and uh, Julian, I'll ask you about it since uh, you're French and half these nations are francophone. Uh, what should the casual fan look out for? And are you on the Cote d'Ivoire bandwagon the way everybody seems to be? I am, but also I'm on the Algeria and Senegal and all those countries. I think it's a great competition. You will get all your former see- colonies. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't matter how oh, I speak French. But No, you see big stars no. like Riyad Mahrez. Notice how he doesn't get excited goal. about Zimbabwe, who nearly stuffed wait. Riyad Mahrez and your wait, Algerian wait, friends. Wait, You're going to eat your words? I was going to say, so I was saying, you get to see big stars like Riyad Mahrez, who scored a lovely goal yesterday. You get to see good young players or players that you didn't know before, like Bilia for Zimbabwe, who played really well yesterday against Algeria as well. You see folklore, you see great atmosphere, you see pitches that not that great often. But I think it's a very interesting one. And and kickoffs are in the week, in the afternoon often as well, or late afternoon, early evening. So that's more football on television, and I'm, I'm always good for that. Alison, given that you filled in so admirably last week, uh, much better than Max Rushton would have done, obviously, you get an absolute freebie. Peter Crouch, Andy Carroll, and Jermaine Defoe all scored at the weekend. 
Uh, this is your chance to celebrate England strikers past. And if Tony Cascarino, who said that they ought to be called up to the England team by Gareth Southgate, gets his way, possibly future. I could watch that Andy Carroll goal over and over again. It is, it is the goal of the season so far. Scorpion kick all you like. There's something incredibly beautiful about it. It's perfect. It's flawless. It's gorgeous. And it proves, and the strikers you've named, Gab, proves that the old adage, class is permanent, form is temporary. And what it means is that someone should take a punt on Dimitar Berbatov. Get him back. Get him scoring too. Berba, that'd be something. By the way, the, the Carroll goal, did it look better because you have a big, strong man doing it? rather than one of those little height. agile guys. Because the height of the, the height, he reaches. But also, incredible. you watch your replays. It's supposed to be slow motion. The ball seems to like go, go even faster. It's so elegant. And you think that it's going to be loopy in some way? And then it goes... <laughs> whoosh. That's Fantastic. Well done, Andy Carroll. Almost kind of... Between him and Figuli, and do they even need Pyatt back? Dimitri who? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Gab, one for you. We hear that the league leaders in Italy and Spain both lost this weekend. What happens? Well, what happened? <laughs> Have you been taking acting classes? No. Say Just that again. I was surprised. I didn't, know. I didn't know. Say I didn't know. Again. I didn't know. What happened what is happened, that... Gab? What happened, Gab? What happened? After 40 games unbeaten, matching the legendary uh, Brian Clough's uh, streak for Nottingham Forest, uh, Zinedine Zidane lost a game uh, and he ran into the genius of football, the man who will revolutionize the game as we know it, Jorge Sampaoli, the real deal for Sevilla. Sevilla ran themselves into the grounds. Zidane, clearly fearing and respecting Sampaoli, played a back three. When's the last time Real Madrid did that? Probably never. <laughs> probably never, actually. And, uh, and I thought they actually maybe a little bit fortunate. They took the lead through a penalty, but then drama, pathos. Sergio Ramos, of course, who, who's a Sevilla born and bred. Uh, when Spain won the World Cup, he and all the Catalan guys were jumping around a Catalan flag, he pulled out an Andalusian flag. I didn't even know what it was, right? And then he heads it into his own net. And this is after a week when he got all sorts of abuse because he scored a late equalizer against Sevilla in the, in, in the Spanish Cup. And then, just as you think this game's going to end the draw, it's fine. Um, Stefan Jovetic, former Manchester City star, hasn't scored a league goal since April, just arrived on just loan. Boom! Boom! From distance. Kaylor Navas, yeah, all those people saying, like, oh, he's better than De Gea. Yeah, right. He's totally out of position. And it's it's 2-1 for, for Sevilla. And it's fantastic because you've got uh, Real Madrid now with a one-point lead over, over Sevilla, two points over Juventus. They do have a game in hand. But uh, I was do you, do you so happy. Leicester? No, I'm happy for Leicester because I think Sevilla think they can win the league now. So I think uh, this is going to be a big distraction for them. Do you fear for the paperback edition? No, I'm going to do another <laughs> hardback after they win the Champions League. Um, <laughs> and uh, and Juventus running into Fiorentina, managed by the lovely, in every sense of the word, Paolo Souza, of course. Uh, this, is, this is pretty cool because um, Fiorentina won 2-1. Um, Juventus were, used to be able to switch from a back three to a back four. They can't do that anymore, um, or at least not as seamlessly. And uh, and it's a great story, Fiorentina as well. They have this player named Federico Chiesa, whose dad was uh, Enrico Chiesa, a tremendous striker uh, for, uh, for Sampdoria and Fiorentina as well. We've got a title race there too. They're one point clear of Roma. They also have a game in hand and uh, two points clear of Napoli. So... Yeah, title races all around Europe. In France as well, three points. We got, we got Nice and Monaco joint at the top. And, yeah, uh, two, in, three points behind. Yeah, in Germany, was it three points, right? Yeah. Uh, Leipzig, Leipzig and, and Munich. Oh, title well, races all around Europe. You, like you throw it at us. What are the chances of Seville winning the title then? I would say 20%. Because remember, you have Barcelona in there too they're not really fine. not that far. I mean they've got a raft of issues and you can read my excellent column about the club's behavior in uh, in sacking uh, actually I'm going to talk about this just, just for 30 seconds if you may like because I know not everybody is behind the paywall you guys heard heard what happened there's this guy dude nobody ever heard of the, well casual fans this guy named Perry Graticos who's basically an old guy he's an ex-player former he was Messi's youth team coach He's one of those club officials who goes to goes to draws, right? Sits there and watches the guy pulling the balls out, and you know whatever. Um, he's asked about Lionel Messi, and he has a temerity to say, "Oh, Lionel Messi is the best player in the world, but he's got great players around him who make him better." Which I don't know. Is, is that a crazy, unreasonable opinion? The guy gets sacked a few hours later because his opinion, quote, does not coincide with that of the club. 
I, I thought it was just, just so silly and so hypocritical too because if the idea wasn't nobody can talk about Messi while he's under contract negotiations, Luis Suarez comes out and this is after Barcelona's chief executive had said that they're going to use common sense in dealing with Messi. Luis Suarez comes out and says, oh, forget common sense, just sign him up. That's all you know how to do. Just give him whatever he wants. But of course, Luis Suarez, even though his opinion doesn't coincide with that of the club either, doesn't get fined or sacked because Luis Suarez is talented at playing football and the other one's just a guy who sits there and watches a man pull balls out of the bag. Anyway, I digress far too much. That's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my excellent guest today, James Scowcroft, joining us through the miracle of cellular telephony from uh, Old Trafford. Alison Rod here in the studio, Julian Lawrence and Matt Hughes. Remember, if you want to sign up for the paper and uh, read all our excellent copy, it's just £12 for a 12-week trial. All you need to do is search The Times online. Now, please press that subscribe button to subscribe to our podcast. Uh, You can do this wherever you choose to download your podcast and leave a review on iTunes if you're listening uh, to an Apple uh, device. Positive reviews only, please. Till next week, bye-bye. The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.